Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everyone, welcome to the Hawks Insiders uh, trade period safe space. Tonight is our day one recap uh, and fairly uneventful day as far as Hawthorne are concerned in terms of straight up deals, but plenty to talk about. Uh, before we do any of that uh, and more, I'm going to introduce a couple of my co-hosts. We are a couple of men down this uh, this evening. Um we uh, Ash sends his apologies and Mora does. I believe Daz is going to be in here in a minute, but I am joined by two of the best. Um, Andrew Weiss, how are you, mate? How have you backed up after Saturday night? Uh, g'day, Prinzy. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, look, let's be honest. I was a little bit dusty yesterday um, and uh, ended up last night presenting a few awards at the SMJFL presentation night. So slight contrast to PCM on Saturday night, but um, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time and um, yeah, it was wonderful to sit sit next to your Prinzi and share the night together and looking forward to not only having all the insiders there next year, but uh, hopefully quite a few more of our, our family because I think you might have you might agree, Princey, one of the highlights was meeting, you know, Keith and seeing Pridge again and Rancy and a whole whole group of um, you know, our our Hawks Insiders family from throughout the year. So it was a, a wonderful evening and um yeah, uh looking forward to the next next week and see what um what the gurus uh can do from a list management point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into, we'll do a bit of a PCM recap in a minute, Weesey. So get your brain on that uh, before we go there. Mr. Klebanski, how are you, sir? Good evening, all. Apologies, I wasn't able to join you guys. Looked like a wonderful evening. I will be there next year. Yeah. Highlight of uh, the night for me was the photo of Reevesy with Simon. An absolute classic. I loved it. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting uh, result in the PCM, which I'm sure we're going to touch on. Um, but it seemed like a ripper night. So, yeah, hopefully I'll be there next year with you guys. Brad, let me tell you, I took the photo of uh, Mora and Ned Reeves and I was standing so far back. I was almost <laughs> in a different room. So, it looked uh, unbelievable. To, to try to get them both in the same shot was tough. Uh, we're also joined by Daz. Darren, great to have you, mate, and thank you for jumping on. Uh, how are you going? I'm going well, yeah. Still coming down from the PCM and I actually have a side angle of that Mora and uh, Ned Reeves, uh, infamous shot. So I might have to pop it, pop it into the Substack or uh, drop it on Twitter one of these days. It's an absolute classic. I think, I think um, as well, we, Prinzi, yeah. um, a bit of context around it as well. Um, without a, a word of, of of lie, there were what three between on the night and in. Um, in Twitter, in the comments, there were at least three people ask if Mora was in fact a jockey. And that was probably the lead-in to then getting the Reeves photo, which uh, just capped it off. But he took it really, really well, Mora. Um, And to be fair, um, you know, he, he... he had that tie, which probably put him in our best dress category. So, you know, there, there were some highs and lows for him on the night. 100%. Now, um, I was going to recap day one of the trade period here, but I think we'll stick with the PCM. <clears throat> Daz, um, talk us through the event really quick. Uh, we know that this is a, a trade period safe space and we're going to be joined uh, very shortly by Mark McKenzie, uh, Mark McGowan. <laughs> That's a Freudian slip. Uh, it'd be nice to be joined by Mark McKenzie. We're going to be joined by Mark McGowan um, from The Age, and he is going to chat through all things uh, Hawthorne trade period. But before we get there, uh, the P- 
PCM does, your your general thoughts, general takeaways, and uh, what were your highlights other than the photo of Simon and Ned Reeves? Oh, look, it was my first one, so I didn't know what to expect, but it was so wonderful to just be amongst a room full of Hawthorne supporters. Um, you know, I was not expecting Will Day to, to come in first. I think I actually had Jai at number one and Sis at number two, but at, at the end of the day, what a... What an incredible honour for um, our young star, and it was—it's just—it's just great to see the the off-field decisions that we made in last year's trade period really paying off massively with with Will Day, Connor Nash, and Jai rounding out the top top three. That's our midfield core. So, um, just just an awesome night all round. Um, I don't even know where to start. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of love amongst that group of players. And it was really obvious on the night um, that that sort of closeness that they have. And I think that's what you get when you cut deep and you have a list of a similar age profile. Um, they're just building something very special, that young group. And you, and you could really get a sense of it at the PCM. Yeah, you absolutely could. I think it um, sort of filtered through every conversation we had with players and also uh, we heard... Uh, from guys who accepted awards, um, whether it was uh, Connor Nash or Dylan Moore. Um, but we see Dylan Moore is the uh, the lead-in that I wanted to do. Clearly, from a Hawthorne player perspective, absolutely best on ground at the PCM. Yeah, he, he clearly had a few leading into getting on the stage, which was absolutely magnificent. But um, uh, actually, I was speaking to um, a couple on the table sitting next to me uh, about whether or not there is actually a better um, celebration of what it is to love this club than what we get out of Dylan Moore when he kicks a goal. And what what we saw, that the vision of him when Will Day wins is just, like, unreal. Like, like his reaction was it? Oh, I don't even know, know if it was us that put out the tweet that said, you know, Dylan Moore is every Hawthorne supporter right now. It might have actually been from the club. Um, so he he clearly had a very very good night, both in terms of awards and um, and was best on ground around the ground. So um, yeah, but but he's clearly at the at the very core, at the very heart the very heartbeat of this group that we're talking about, that that they're building special things together. And, I mean, it was also interesting to to see the guys that weren't necessarily part of that group versus the guys that were. And, um, uh, interestingly, Scrimmer was right in the thick of it and, and they they clearly all love him versus a... Um, a DGB who one you know one of my observations was seemed to be spending a fair bit of time on the night by himself. Um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but um, yeah, the the tightness of the group and the way they all spoke um, again just makes you feel like we're on the right path. They can do a, some really special things together. Now, Bradley, um, I'd like to get your in-depth thoughts on the winner of the Peter Crimmins medal, Will Day, and him winning that award over Jai Newcomb and James Sicily, who, as Daz touched on before, were probably a little bit more fancied um, favourites even going into the event. What were, your, what were your initial thoughts? And now that you've had a couple of days to process, uh, what, what are your thoughts now? And have they changed? Uh, loved Love uh, Will Day. I thought he had a really, really good season. But I'm going to be honest, there is no way he had a better season than Jai. And I think Sicily deserved... I don't know how Sicily came fifth and come in the top three. Uh, I thought Day had a really, really good season. I thought he had a better uh, first half of the season. I know he missed a few games through suspension. I think Jai only missed the one game. Sis obviously missed, you know, a few games through suspension as well. But um, it was a nice top three. Uh, Connor Nash, uh, well done. Brilliant season. Arguably the most improved player in the, at AFL. But the coaches must see a lot of things different to a, a lot of us because, in my opinion, Nash's probably last eight weeks or so, in my opinion, 
were not great at all. So I'm not sure how he held on for top three. Um, I thought, uh, yeah, Jai should have won it. Uh, I thought Sis would get second and I had Will Day third. But um, I think Day and Jai are going to be fighting over best and fairest, which is a great thing over at least the next, you know, three or four years. And hopefully we see the likes of Ward and McKenzie and uh, Connor McDonald as well up there in the top five. One thing that we do need to touch on, which is, um, I guess, a minor uh, negative in the top ten, we didn't have one key position player. I think Connor Nash was our only player over 190, um, I think 192, 193 centimetres that was in our top 10. I think he's 197, but he's a midfielder. And that's something that you desperately need is a mix of those type of players. So hopefully next year, Mitchell Lewis plays a full season and we can see him get a spot in the top 10. But we really, really need to work on our key position players. It's a good point, Brad, and um, I think Lewis at different stages of the season was in the top 10. I reckon he would have finished 11th or 12th. I think the first um, six rounds kind of killed him. So, um, yeah, I think that that's a, it's a fair point, though. You don't necessarily get too far if you don't have any key position players in that top 10. Now, Weesey, have we been able to scrub the love heart eyes <laughs> From your face since your interview in person of both Will Day and Josh Ward. Oh, it was um, it was pretty special. I mean, just you know, the, getting the opportunity f- for us to be able to be on the gold carpet and do those interviews beforehand was very, very special. Um, I just, I, I just wanted to actually add one more thing about the night, I guess, and like there were twelve hundred people in the room as you as. Daz mentioned, you know, being among all brown and gold faithful was was just incredible in itself. And you could feel the energies for certain players and different things that were happening. And for me, um, so Luke Bruce finished 10th in, in the best and fairest, which is obviously amazing in itself and great recognition. But he won the best clubman award. And the lead into the discussion about him winning it and the emotion in the room, like just again, um, obviously everyone knows it, but he, yeah, the, the love for him and the feeling for him, just it again solidified that he's going to go down as um, a legend, clearly an AFL Hall of Famer, well, in my opinion anyway, um, and yeah, I, I think we'll probably still get a couple of good years out of him. Uh, just based on the fact that he's thought of so highly for what he's been doing with everyone around the club, not just the bag of goals he's kicking on the field. Absolutely. Um, One of the other things that I really enjoyed as well, Daz, was the the Lethal Award. Um, I didn't know what the Lethal Award was before uh, Saturday night. Um, But one of the things that I really enjoyed was um, the fact that this was a player-voted award, which was voted based on the love that they shared in and around the group, the standards, the work ethic, the commitment um, on the track, on game day, all of that sort of thing. Um, And for Jai to present that to to Will Day this year was was a pretty good moment. Um, Was that right up there for you as well? Oh, absolutely. And it was right up there for me too, because I found out what the lethal award was all about as well on the night. So that was, that was really helpful. Um, I think there was a bit of speculation before from us that it uh, may have been a Lee Matthews voted award, which would have been pretty cool actually. And, and, and maybe in the, in the future Lee can cast a vote um, or, or the vote. That would be nice. But, well, I mean, um, yeah. it makes a bit of sense, right? It's the lethal award, you would think it would be after Lee Matthews, but, um, you know, each there. So we know that it's voted for by the players, but do we have the other criteria handy? I'm, I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around that award, but... Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a fairly subjective one, but it's, um, yeah, like I sort of touched on before, I think around the love and the care that they showed to their fellow players, their commitments mm. and their standards on the track and on the, on the park, their, uh, their diligence and, you know, all of those in terms of meeting the standards set by the playing group who adhered, adheres to it the best. So, yeah. 
It's it's interesting though because I, I don't know if Will Day wins that award um, in twenty twenty two. I think by his own admission, and we've spoken to him about this, he he hasn't really he didn't really uh, live up to the training standards. I, I think he thought he was living up to the training standards, but there's another level of training um, that I think people like Peter Burge and and Tom Mitchell and people along the journey have have shown him that he really needs to to meet, and he did that this year. Um, and that's why he was he had such a such a sort of durable body um, and played so, such a, a, a long stretch of footy compared to previous years in which we, he was in and out of the side. He was injured constantly. His his body just wasn't stacking up to AFL footy. So you know, I think if if the lethal award is uh, in recognition of that, then that that's just a testament to the hard work he's put in this year. Now, Brad, we don't have a lot of time, uh, hopefully, before Mark McGowan joins us, but I uh, wanted to uh, check with you. You shared just recently, just before we jumped online, uh, a clip from Tom Mitchell on his Ball Magnets podcast uh, speaking to um, some very, very strong, I would say, uh, management um of himself by his former coach, Sam Mitchell. Um, yeah. And it, it hit me square between the eyes. What were your thoughts when oh, you first listened to it? Absolutely. I've shared it on my Twitter page. So straight after this, have a look. But it is brutal. Um, I don't think it paints Mitch in, the, in, quite, a, you know, in quite a positive uh, light. But there's all, I guess there's always two sides to every story. But it's very, very harsh. And you can see why. A, you know, Tom was happy to be traded and why he's come out publicly in the last few weeks and spoken about how he's never been so happy. You know, obviously he's won a premiership, but oh, it is um, interesting to say uh, the least. It's actually really harsh. So it's, it's only about a 50 second clip, but I reckon everyone should uh, watch it because it is very yeah, interesting. People are going to have uh, their opinions and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are pro-Tom and a lot of people uh, that are against Tom. So it'll be interesting to see what they say after this. But yeah, uh, that one hit us but square between the eyes, Brinzy. I haven't seen that yet, but I, I just wish Tom Mitchell would just shut up, honestly. Well, Dad, just, just just, shut up, Tom Mitchell. Honestly, it's pretty I, bad. I, I, it's, pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But, but still, you just don't go there with um, what happens behind closed doors as a code with coaches and players, especially when you're still playing. And, I mean, it's easy for him to say that this stuff now as a, as a premiership player, but I don't think Tom Mitchell walks into another club and wins a flag. I think all the ingredients were there for him to, to win that premiership. I don't, I don't want to say that he didn't deserve it, but I, could, it, I don't know if he'd be making those comments now if he had not won a flag. So, um, well, yeah. We talked about this. I, I, we talked about this on Saturday night. And, uh, it's the, the unfortunate thing is, so he's won a Brownlow playing an incredible, incredible season for us. He's won three PCMs, should have won a fourth, in my opinion. I think Gunston beating him in the um, in the twenty twenty the COVID season. I think that's right. Um, he, he should have had four. And instead of potentially going down again as as one of our greats, all that this has sort of done is he will be remembered for me, especially for that season. That season, he did something that, you know, it was incredible, the football that he was playing. I've never seen anyone do what he does as good as he did that year. And... I think the unfortunate thing with all of this is from a legacy point of view, the legacy is going to be more about the season than his overall contribution as a Hawthorne football club person. So, I mean, be interested. I know there are a lot of people in this chat who are huge Titch fans. So interesting to hear other people's thoughts, but uh, it's just what he has actually said on this is damning, but I also agree with you, Daz, around there will be a time well, what's and a he place. Said in, in... There'll be a time and a place. 
Um, That's right, and he's, he should just save it for his uh, biography when he when he retires. He's, he, and Ash can help him ghostwrite that. <laughs> but um, I just, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, to be fair, but I just think you don't air that while you're still playing and while you, you, you've just literally left the club um, where fans are really good to you. We will take that opportunity to transition. I don't think that'll be the last we speak of that interview and maybe we'll get uh, Mark's thoughts on that as well if he's seen it um, but before we do that uh, I want to just quickly before I introduce uh, Mark McGowan um, quickly wrap up uh, day one of the AFL trade period so there were four deals uh, the first one was Tom Dode uh, joining Brisbane I'm sorry I butchered that um, pronunciation from Adelaide with the Crows receiving an end of first round pick as compensation so um, when uh, these players sign um, I mean, in the NBA. It's called an offer sheet with another club. Um, the club has their uh, old club has three days to match or two days to match. Uh, Adelaide chose not to match within 20 minutes of that being announced. So clearly their intentions were right there from the get-go. Uh, the Western Bulldogs uh, made a very interesting trade, trading two uh, 2023 first-round picks, currently 10 and 17 to the Gold Coast Suns. In exchange for one 2023 first round pick, currently number four, two 2023 third round picks, 46 and 51, and a future third round pick. So that I actually think the Bulldogs also um, used their future third, a future first round pick to the Gold Coast Suns as part of that deal too. Fremantle traded uh, their current 2023 second round pick. Uh, sitting at 23 at the moment to Port Adelaide in exchange for a future first-round pick. Um, and I think there was a future second in that um, from Frio as well. And Todd Goldstein um, joined Essendon from North Melbourne. Channel 9, I pulled this from their confirmed deals. They need to sort that out. There's a lot of issues there. But we are now joined by Mark McKenzie. Um, Mark, thank you so uh, he's much done it for again. jumping on. <laughs> Oh, I did it again too. I did this in the warm-up. <laughs> on the walk on this so spot. So it's, uh, I'll take oh it. Oh my god! <laughs> it's Mark former WA Premier. <laughs> yeah, it's Mark McGowan to you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Mark McGowan, thank you so much for joining us, mate. And I apologise for butchering that. Normally, Ash sits behind this chair and he does a much more professional and better job than I do. But thank you for joining us. Um, pretty entertaining first day of the trade period all round. I, I thought it was actually. People I've spoken to uh, clubs, um, I've said the same thing. It was. A fair bit of activity. There's um, some drama. We've got Lockie Schultz, obviously, was a, a new name that emerged. Um, we saw a few free agents get done. We saw the, the big deal that you, you mentioned there with the Bulldogs, the three first-round picks to get pick four. Um, yeah, a, a really interesting start. We all know that there's probably going to be a period in this next few days where there's a bit of a stalemate and, and not a lot happens. But um, it was a really entertaining first day, I thought. And for you in your role, uh, reporting on a lot of this action, how's how's the phone? Does it does it run hot? <laughs> well, it runs hot at the other end. We certainly are working it hard. Um, we're look obviously the the people we talk to, the agents, the list managers, recruiters, all these guys. We're we're working our phone pretty hard. Whether it's text messages, um, calls, and we're trying to get as much info as we can get while in between while they're hopping from meeting to the next, but. Um, obviously, there's a lot of us, and we're all going for the same story. So it's a, it's a pretty competitive time of the year. Absolutely. Um, now the Hawks were inactive in the confirmed deals, but um, there was a fair bit of Hawthorne news across the board. Um, firstly, just want to um, touch on uh, in an interview with uh, Cal Toomey, the the real Mark McKenzie. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. Uh, the proper Mark McKenzie um, declared that the Hawks have sort of uh, got an interest in trading up for pick one mm. and they've had some chats with West Coast, um, clearly looking at um, wanting to keep young Victorian Harley Reid in the States. Um, what is your take on that situation? And I've got some doubts on whether they can actually pull it off. What, what do you think? And if so, what do you think it costs them? There's absolutely no doubt that North Melbourne is in the box seat if West Coast is open to making the move. Now, again, they did a lot of press conferences today. All the clubs, Rowan O'Brien, the, the list boss at West Coast, was asked that exact question. And his comment today was they're leaning towards keeping pick one. 
I tend not to believe that. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of mistruths to get thrown around. I, I still expect that they they will look to make a deal, um, but North Melbourne having picked two, that puts them in a great spot because West Coast, if they do make the trade, obviously they'd be giving up Harley Reid, who everyone accepts will be the number one pick. But if West Coast does that, they want to guarantee that they're bringing in Daniel Curtin, who is the top WA prospect. Now Daniel is in that next crop of players. So Harley Reid is the consensus number one. After that, there really is no exact order at this stage. It's still quite mixed. So West Coast need to guarantee that they get Daniel Curtin. Now, North Melbourne are not expected to jump in on Curtin if they do end up keeping their picks, but West Coast can't they can't make that assumption that that won't happen. So there is still that threat that they would miss out on him. So if they were to take the risk and make a deal, say, with Hawthorne, they would have to cross their fingers and hope that North Melbourne didn't grab him beforehand because they're looking like they'll get the Ben Mackay compensation, which everyone assumes will be pick three. They already have pick two. So that would mean North Melbourne would have two goes potentially to grab Curtin um, before Hawthorne picks. So, look, it's an interesting situation. Hawthorne's offer would have to revolve around that top pick this year, which will be either number three or number four, and their future first-round pick. My understanding is Tyler Brockman would not be part of that deal. There's no That will not be a situation that he's done in that, in that scenario. He would be done in a separate deal, even though he wants to get to West Coast. That will not be part of this deal. So there's also pick 30 for Hawthorne that they could throw into the, into the mix. But at this stage, North Melbourne very much in the box seat. Now, that's a perfect segue. You're definitely a pro, Mark. We was going to chat to you about um, some of the potential outgoings for the Hawks. We, um, a few of us were at the Peter Crimmins medal on Saturday night and um, Jacob Kaczynski was there. We chatted to Will Day about his mm. situation. Um, but absent was uh, Tyler Brockman. So um, he's clearly already over in WA and, and sort of um, spending time with family. Um do you expect that deal to get done or do you expect um, Brockman to potentially just walk through to the preseason draft? Because the Hawks don't really have a strong bargaining hand in that situation. You'd hope not. I mean, he, again, going back to what Rowan O'Brien said today, that exact scenario was put to him and he said, look, it's an option, but we'd like to get a deal done. And, And most clubs don't want to go down that path because it's almost bad karma. It could be a scenario where it's you know the, the tide is turned and and they're in a situation where they might be you know in a scenario where Hawthorne might be able to do it to them. So I don't think we'll get to that point with this deal. You'd, you'd assume again family reasons, all these sorts of things. Clubs are, are tending tend to be pretty sympathetic in those cases. It doesn't mean they're not going to try and get value out of West Coast. There's there's no doubt they're going to try and get a, a decent pick. That Brockman was showing some really good potential and was playing some good footy at Hawthorne. So. They'd certainly like to get a decent pick there. I don't think Cozzy's going to cost the Tigers too much. Um, He was offered a deal to stay at Hawthorne, but I I can't imagine that's going to cost them too much. So, Mark, I read um, Tom Morris tweeting that the Hawks had suggested they want a top 25 pick for Jacob Kaczynski with the Tigers currently sitting with pick 27. Um, That, I mean... I don't, I don't want to... Do it, do it, do it, do it. I'm not going to... Ch- look, I'm not one who likes to challenge what other reporters report and those sorts of things. I believe Tom Morris. I believe Tom Morris. It's not, it's not yeah. that at all. I, I, what I don't believe is Hawthorne's stance there. I, I would struggle to believe that a top 25 pick will be required to get Kajitski to Tigerland. But hey, listen. If Tigers, if you want to send us pick twenty-seven, by all means. Yeah. Like, yeah cool. Oh, oh he's worth that. No he's, he's worth that. That's for sure. You know, he, now key position players don't grow on trees, and we've had a long time developing him. So maybe you pick three. He, uh, he, according to the, the Ben Mackay logic, he's arguably <laughs> not a key position player, Daz. All right. Uh, listen, Mark, we'll just clarify that. Darren is the number one uh, Jacob Kaczynski uh, supporter in our in the Hawks Insider. So uh, he's got a position he has to – he's committed to it. So um, now part of the trade period, obviously, is not just sending players out. Uh, we're also looking to uh, improve the list here at the Hawks. And um, we've had two commitments so far this trade period, one from uh, Mabiel Chol from the Gold Coast and Massimo D'Ambrosio from Essendon. Mm. What does it look like? 
from a trade perspective for the Hawks and um, what would you expect the asking price to be for those, those two yeah, It's a really interesting one starting with Marbio Chol because he, he actually, it, was, it became a bit of a bidding war. Um, Adelaide were willing to offer three years with a trigger for a fourth. Um, you know, we saw some, I think there were about four clubs in the end that were showing some level of interest. Got down to the end, it was only a couple of clubs left, but Hawthorne are offering four years and a trigger for a fifth. So um, they get their player, but it's certainly a, a pretty decent deal for Marbio. Now it becomes how you get a deal done. Now, Gold Coast, from what I'm hearing, are keen for a second round pick. Um, I don't think Hawthorne want to be paying that much for him. So that's going to be an interesting situation to see how that plays out. But again, very early days in the trade period. Massimo D'Ambrosio, um, look, he was only offered a one-year deal at Essendon. So I can't imagine they can expect too much in return. But we do know Adrian Dodoro is at the helm. So who knows what will happen there. But um, I think the one that will be a bit first. more difficult will be... Yeah, it could be a future first. Who knows? But... Um, I think the the Chol deal seems like it, it um, might be a bit more difficult than the the D'Ambrosio one, but I imagine they'll find common ground. These deals will get done. Yeah, and look, you don't generally get a commitment from a player to not try everything you can to get that player over to your club. So there's clearly a position for Mabi or Chol. I'm I'm a little bit more interested in what the plans are for D'Ambrosio because. If there's one sort of position that the Hawks are fairly well stocked for, it's running half backs, and and that's effectively where he's played. Mm. But um, you never you never know; they might decide they want to use him as a small forward or something like that. Now, uh, I've got a couple more before I throw it open to my fellow co-hosts. Um, you touched on earlier, uh, Mark. The the Lockie Schultz news news was the one that sort of um, shocked people on day one, and there's always a few of these at the start of trade mm. period, the first couple of days. Um, he wants to get to Collingwood, which, you know, the swings and roundabouts of being a club in the window is you have players that nominate you as their preferred club ahead of, say, a club like Hawthorne, mm. which is uh, which is rebuilding and retooling. But what does that do with the Pies sort of plethora of small, medium forwards to somebody like a Jack Ginevan who's already out there? Does it, does it start to, uh, like, I guess, energise a market that wasn't necessarily there beforehand and Clubs like a Hawthorne might inquire on somebody like Jack Kinnaman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think everyone that saw today's news with Lockie Shields coming to Collingwood, instantly Jack Kinnaman was the one everyone thought of. Kinnaman, towards that second half of the year, yes, he was in the side for the grand final and these sorts of things, but it, he was not an automatic best 23 player for big chunks of that season. Um, we all know the trouble he got into in the preseason as well. With Shields coming in... If I'm him, I'm, I'm absolutely looking for, for another club. And last year, kicked 40 goals. Um, so th- there'll be a market for him. Um, it'll be interesting to see how big that market is. But there's certainly clubs out there that, that need small forwards, whether it's North Melbourne, whether it's Hawthorne. Um, they're two that, that instantly spring to mind. But um, look, there's a, there's a bit to play out there. But if I'm Jack Ginevan, I'm, I'm certainly getting in touch with my manager and I'm, I'm talking through my options at a bare minimum. Hey, Mark, um, got a bit more of a general question for you, I guess. Uh, plenty of uh, the Hawks Insiders family will remember the incredible job you did when you looked after Hawthorne and North Melbourne and, and uh, the, the role that you had um, being, I guess, let go from, from that role is the reason we exist because there aren't enough people that know enough about individual clubs. Um, do you have a soft spot for the Hawks and North? I mean, we're obviously a couple of years down the track now and you do a lot more around every club in the comp. How do you, um, how do you look back on your time reporting on Hawthorne and North and do you have a soft spot for our clubs? I think it's impossible not to. I, I did really enjoy that time. It was um, at AFL when I was at the AFL website, and um, our brief at that stage in the way AFL media was set up was that you would have, say, two clubs that you would really focus on. And for me, as you, you pointed out yourself, that they were Hawthorne and uh, and North Melbourne, and, and basically the brief was know every single player on the list inside out better than anyone else in the media. Um, so you'd be down at training, you'd be keeping an eye on the VFL, you'd, you'd know everything um, about the list or as much as you could anyway. 
Um, as far as having a soft spot, it's impossible not to because you, you sort of you get to know the list so intimately. You get to know a lot of the people at both clubs, um, and because I did it for you know for several years in those those roles with that um, with that brief, um, yeah, it's impossible to even though you're a few years down the track. Um, I, I definitely do have a, a soft spot for both clubs and very keen to see how they both go. Even though, again several years down the track and a lot of different players on the list now and different coaches and all those sorts of things. But um, yeah, that was, a, I really enjoyed that time. I'm following him from that, Mark. Um, you would have got a pretty early look at Will Day. I'm not sure if he was still on the Hawks beat when he was drafted. He was. I've, I remember speaking to Will when he was um, very early days. Um, I think I was still at AFL website then, but um, oh geez, I, I love that kid. He is um he's so impressive to talk to, but he's even better to watch. I just um I love mm. him as a player. He's just at that stage he was, you know, he was basically an outside player and a little bit of defense and, and that sort of thing. And he's just developed into into a really dynamic midfielder. And uh, look, I think a few people might have been surprised that he that he did win the the best and fairest over, say, John Newcomb, but Geez, he, he had a really impressive year and you just know that he's only just touching the surface as well. He, he's going to be a really special player. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you were surprised with that result, just given, I guess, he he was drafted with very, very little fanfare at the time. I remember some Hawks supporters raising their eyebrows about a, a wiry halfback <laughs> flanker um, being drafted in when we needed midfielders and then you look at his development now and it's massively paying off. Yeah, I actually remember because... And now I do know for certain, now that my memory's been refreshed, I definitely was at the AFL website at the time because I remember Cal Toomey was doing his phantom draft and Will Day was one that he really struggled to place and he was putting the pieces together and he, he could find a lot of the of the other picks around him and he, he sort of figured out that that player was there and this and that. And so he ended up slotting Will Day next to Hawthorne because it, it was the one that made sense because of everything else that he'd you know, put all the other players in the gaps. Um, it ended up being right. But, yeah, I think it's been, it's just, it's clearly been a great pick. Um, getting anyone outside the top 10 that can win you a BNF, we saw them do it with, with James Warple even further down the, down the order. And um, clearly Mark McKenzie is, uh, is very good at, uh, at spotting talent. Absolutely. I think um, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, uh, most Hawk supporters had penciled in Brody Kemp at the pick that they drafted, um, that they drafted Will Day in, and they were pretty flat when uh, when when Day was drafted. And it's just amazing how we go off so quickly with these sort of shotgun type um, opinions. And then you look back a couple of years later, and you're like, I couldn't have been more wrong, right? Like he's developed into this Rolls Royce player who's only scratching the surface of what he's what he's actually capable of. Um, which is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kemp that year had, was coming off a, a knee injury, but there was still a lot of hype about him. But I think sometimes you, you have to realise that not all fans, but a lot of fans are, are only seeing highlights of these guys or, or limited you know, limited games, whereas the recruiters who are making these decisions, one, it's their job, and two, they are just pouring through vision, absolutely pouring through vision. It's not just one person. There's a whole group of them that are debating the strengths and weaknesses of these kids. They understand what the coach wants and they, they, they understand the list even more than, than supporters do. And sometimes you just have to back these guys in. Absolutely. Now, I think we've got a question from Paul. Paul, did you want to um, unmute yourself, mate, and, uh, and ask away? Maybe not. Maybe not. All right, we'll keep going. I've got a question for you, Mark, and um, and I'm glad I touched base with you on this one before the night. Um, so the Hawks obviously have um, a couple of father-sons on their mm. radar, um, the most prominent being Will Day. They've also got Kalsha Deer, who got a late um, combine invite. Um, we haven't seen anything in regards to announcements of like father-son nominations or anything like that. Um, what do you know about the process? And I believe you actually just recently spoke to Will, uh, Will McCabe. Is that, is that, it is. Yeah. Only, only a few days ago at the combine, we sat down and had a chat and, um, look, impressive kid. Like, as we know, he's the son of the the footy director and very different player than what his dad is, um, or his dad was. Um, but I asked Will that exact question around what his plans are to, um, whether he declares to be a father, son eligible player or not. Um, they're all taught and they give a similar answer where they say, look, I've still got a bit of time. The deadline's October 31. So still a few weeks away. 
Um, but Will said to me, the intention is still very much to be a father-son. So I think that's, that's great news for the Hawks because he slots in, obviously, there as a key defender. It doesn't mean that he's, he's certain to be a star, but any player that's around the, the first round and with his physical tools, um, I think you've got a pretty exciting prospect there. Yeah, I think um, just looking at him in the vision, and I'm, I'm sure this um, bears out in real life as well, probably Hawks fans shouldn't get their hopes and expectations up that he plays too much AFL footy next year. Is that fair to say? Oh, no. I think that's very fair to say. Um, yeah, he's got yeah. He's, look, he's 197 centimetres. Whether that's changed in the combine, he might have grown a little bit since then. But he's, yeah, he's definitely still a project in that way. Um, we saw him play some you know, good footy during the year. He had some injuries as well. Um, but he's light, and especially when you're coming up against big, you know, big forwards, especially going up against men as well, you're just going to expect him to take a bit of time in the VFL. I would have thought. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, we really appreciate your time. We, we'll let you get away. I know you've got plenty more phone calls to make tonight. Before we let you go, though, any surprises you see on the radar? They might be Hawthorne related. They might not be. Um, I mean, Lucky Schultz was one, but do you do you see? Do you envisage anything else? Oh, look, there's no doubt there'll be other things. I remember last year when um, I reported the the news around Jager um, with the, the interest with GWS and, and Fremantle, and him obviously becoming a docker. You just never know with trade period. And even today with the Lockie Shield stuff, what does that mean for Ginevan? We've already touched on that. Um, there's going to be plenty of surprises. They're, leading in in the months coming in, people were talking about this was going to be a quiet trade period. Um, over the last month, I think we've seen a lot of activity and I think there's still more to come. So watch this space. Beautiful. Well, that's a perfect place to end it. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us and hopefully we'll have you back another time in the not too distant future. Thanks. No worries at all. Good luck to the Hawks. Cheers, Mark. That, that was Mark McKenzie as my mute button just pressed itself down. We thank you. We thank Mark so much for. I did Mark McKenzie again. You did, did, it, a, you did it for the third time. Holy, what is going on? I, I thought you were taking that. the piss there. Oh, my goodness. Let us get another host in for the next space. I apologize to Mark McGowan and I apologize to everybody listening. What the heck is going on? Anyway. Thank you to Mark McGowan for jumping on and giving up his time very graciously last minute um, to give us some really good insight into the first day of trade period. Um, guys, what took your fancy there? Oh, I, I love that he, I mean, I obviously asked the question, forget about the actual list side of things. I love that he still loves Hawthorne. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, like I said, him losing his position in AFL media is one of the reasons we got together to start this because he did. He really did know everything that was happening about anyone at the club and we would be hanging on any piece of news we could get from him. So um, he's obviously one of the good ones, still loves or has a soft spot for Hawthorne. So, yeah, he's we can claim him, right, as one of us in the media. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to send him about four apology notes after <laughs> this space. But other than that, I think he liked it. Yeah. But the other thing I couldn't get enough of is, or can't get enough of at the moment anyway, is Will Day talk. And it's so good to hear Mark um, just just going back to the early days and the 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 kind of lack of fanfare about Will being drafted with, with, with such a high pick and, and the play that he's become. And it was great to hear that Mark you know, um, in all the, the kind of rigorous scouting that he had to do as a um, as a AFL scribe on the Hawthorne beat, uh, saw saw the same things we're seeing now. So um, that was terrific, terrific chatter. Absolutely. Now, Brad, I want, before we wrap it up, and we're going to wrap it up uh, in a couple of minutes. Um, I want to get your thoughts, mate, on the potential movement of um, of. Lockie Schultz into Collingwood and Jack Ginevan. We touched on it with Mark. Jack Ginevan, yes or no to the Hawks? For the Hawks. Oh, it's a tough one. I tweeted it earlier. Yes. Uh, I got a 50-50 uh, response. Schultz is the one. Um, I think for Collingwood, he's a brilliant guy. I'd absolutely love him at Hawthorne. I think he'd be our best small forward um, for the next three or four years. Underrated player, sent his stats around early, averages 16 touches, four tackles, and one and a half goals per game. That is elite. 
for a small forward. His last eight or nine games of this season were unbelievable. He averaged over 20 touches a game in that two goals a game, which is unbelievable. Um, so if he ends up at Collingwood, well done to Collingwood. They just seem to know how to do it come Lister management time over the last few years. Um, I would love him. Uh, Ginevin is an interesting one. He would slot straight in and play every game next season. I get he's a polarising type of player. I believe he's a Matt, he was a Matt Hawthorne supporter, which would help and which would I'm sure he'd love to play for Hawthorne. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to ask to be put up for trade because if Schultz ends up at Collingwood, he's not getting a game in that side next year with Bobby Hill, Bo McQuarrie, um, obviously uh, Lockie Schultz as well. So um, it's an interesting one. Uh, I would lean towards yes over no, but I can see why some would say no. It's a tough one. I just. I think he's. I think he's got potential to be a quality player in a position where our side lacks a lot of depth. I know I hear a lot of our supporters mention Sam Butler and Jack O'Sullivan and Josh Bennett. The reality is Jack Ginevin is a better player than all of those guys. So, um, and he's in the right age bracket. So um, Bennett and O'Sullivan will get their turn. You know, they're still a couple of years off. Um, I know Prinzi uh, disagrees. I just don't see it with Sammy R. Butler. Um, I don't think he's going to make it at uh, the level. I hope I'm uh, wrong. But a Jack Ginevin and a Lockie Schultz are, in my opinion, considerably better player than Sam Butler. Now, Daz, before we do wrap it up, um, I just want to get your thoughts because um, Jack Ginevin uh, is a fairly controversial uh, player. Um, and Mick uh, Cowan has just, not McGowan, Cowan has just dropped in the comments. He's not quick across the ground. He's not, but. He has that same sort of evasiveness that Luke Bruce has and has a real sense of goal that you just can't teach. So is, um, you know, all the fanfare that comes with Jack Ginevan, if he was available and the Hawks were keen, would you be keen? 100% I would be keen on Jack. Um, he's still a Hawthorne supporter. I think he regularly treats, uh, has, has said things about, about the Hawks and there's a lot of photos going around about um, with him in Hawks get up at a young age. So that's the number one criteria, right, uh, for, for drafting and, and trading for players at the moment. But I think, you know, off-field stuff, like I think we need a personality like Jack of the Hawks. I just I just feel like we're, we're especially the PCM, they're, they're a bunch of are really good boys, um, which, is, which is terrific. And, you know, you... I don't think we want Hawthorne players in the media again, but I, I think Jack has got a really great, like, uh, I, I just think he's got a great personality as well outside of the, the bad stuff we, we hear off field. And um, I think he would add, you know, I hate to use the word X factor, but he would add some genuine X factor to that forward line. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see him at the Hawks. I think um, if he can clean up his act off field, which I think he's, he, he has done, then let's get him in. And we see uh, wrapping it up on, on Ginevan. There's a little bit, I think, of a Toby Green tax on everything that Jack Ginevan does. He's under the microscope more than just about any other um, young player in the competition. And he can't breathe the wrong way without um, having three articles written about him. Um, would you take that risk uh, if you're the Hawks in a, in a rebuilding team and would you um, add him to that list and, and see how it goes or would you be wary of doing so? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm with Daz 100%. I think he's got X factor. I think he's got spark. He's got skills. He's of the right age range. Um, I think that, you know, all of the stuff around... Um, you know, his charismatic nature and the way he celebrates and the ducking side of things. If he's on your team, you're all right with it. If he's on the opposition team, you're not. So um, there is a tax there. I think the biggest issue or the biggest question is actually going to be not whether or not we want him. What is the price that we would have to pay for him? And we've seen that Collingwood are going to be playing hardball over a 30-year-old Taylor Adams that they don't want to give midfield minutes to. Um, They're playing hardball with him to get up to Sydney with what what he should cost at 30. Jack, who obviously has the potential and has shown it, 
at his age range, it frightens me just to think about what they would what they would ask if they were to play hardball as opposed to say saying as Brad mentioned, you know, we've brought in Lockie Schultz and um Bobby Hill recently and um and in terms of actually a role you're not going to be playing seniors, so whether or not they have any empathy towards that. But if the price is right, I would say absolutely. It's just a matter of what's that price going to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Look, obviously, um, we have already given up our future first-round pick for Massimo D'Ambrosio to satisfy Adrian Dodoro and his parting wish. So um, we don't have much more to give up. Uh, We are going to wrap it up there for tonight. We will uh, be back at some stage over the course of the trade period, um, especially if there are any uh, major deals that go down with the Hawks, I believe. Um, We will be back tomorrow, Andrew Weiss. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. uh, Pretty confident based on the numbers. You know, the the people have spoken. Everyone wants their little bit of uh, brown and gold. Obviously, it's not going to be all of us every night on any given night. But um, Ash has has uh, has messaged in again with his apologies. He will definitely be back on deck tomorrow night. So um, I think that even if it's shorter, if there's no brown and gold uh, news throughout the day, um, we'll provide the safe space tomorrow night for everyone to jump in. Beautiful. And I know that uh, if Ash is here hosting tomorrow night, nobody's names will be mispronounced, which is fantastic. So uh, we'll finish up just by um, giving a quick shout out in our comments to uh, listener Chris uh, at the base of the comments for the space who says, no one cares about the Hawks. So Hawks fans, go and show Chris some love in the comments. Um, I think that might not be true. So um, thank you, everybody, for jumping in tonight and listening. Thank you for your ongoing and continued support. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. Uh, we appreciate the, the community and the family that we have with the Hawks Insiders, and we look forward to doing it all again tomorrow night. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawks Footy Club coverage.